Good evening to each of you. I'm going to start our lesson off in Luke chapter 11 tonight. Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at the first four verses together here. It says, As it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I wanted to notice Luke's account of this model prayer because of the details were given there at the beginning, what led up to Jesus praying this prayer and instructing his disciples. We find that one of the disciples asked him specifically, Lord, teach us to pray. So we're going to see if we can't learn likewise, just as those disciples did, learn how to pray by using the instruction of Christ. I intended for this lesson to be rather comprehensive in regards to the subject of prayer. So the plan is, by the time we are concluded this evening, you won't have any more questions about how to pray. We'll have covered everything. If you still have questions, I'll give you a copy of the CD and you can listen to the lesson again. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, we we plan to look at, I think, are a number of very important facets of our prayer life as highlighted by the Master Teacher. Now, before we get into the specific points of the lesson, I do want to uh, note the account in Matthew 6, which is typically what we would refer to when we think about this model prayer. This is normally where we would go rather than Luke's account. But there in verse 9, it reads almost word for word as it does in Luke chapter 11. Uh, But again, he says, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the wording here in Matthew, uh, I wanted to recognize that because as we go through the lesson, we are going to be referring back to some of the specific things that uh, Jesus mentions in his prayer as we make different points throughout the lesson. So first of all, I want us to think about some things that we need to avoid in regards to prayer. There's a couple different things that are important that we make sure we don't do. And then we'll look at some positive encouragement as far as things we do need to include as we continue on. First of all, we need to make sure that we, when we pray, we're not using empty words or recited phrases. We don't just say the same thing we say every single time that we say a prayer just because that's what we've always said or that's what uh, 
dad always said or grandpa always said, and that's just the way it's always been phrased. And we really sometimes can fail to pray as we ought to because we're just kind of going through the motions of prayer rather than really and sincerely seeking to communicate with our Father in heaven. Just a few verses um, back from where we find Jesus giving this instructive prayer in Matthew 6, we find that he addresses this very thing. And it's somewhat ironic, of course, because people have taken the prayer that we have noted at the introduction and that we're going to be kind of dissecting throughout the lesson. They, of course, use that, and what do they do with it? They just repeat it word for word. And you you hear people do that a lot uh, at weddings or different kinds of ceremonies and get-togethers. Somebody will say, let us pray, and it's kind of just understood that everyone's going to now recite this prayer that Jesus prayed. But we need to avoid that kind of thing. Jesus said there in verse 7, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So the idea is that we would be sincere in what we are praying about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we read here about the church in Corinth. They were giving, or being given rather, some instruction by the Apostle Paul. As they were coming together in their assembly, some of them, of course, had gifts of speaking in tongues. Others had gifts of interpreting those tongues. And, of course, there were different spiritual gifts that were being used as it was designed at that time. But the problem was that they were doing things in such a disorderly manner that uh, it was causing confusion, especially on the part of those that were coming in from the outside and, uh, you know, didn't have these spiritual gifts. And so somebody would be praying with this spiritual gift, speaking in a tongue, but then they wouldn't have anybody interpret that. And so people coming in were, were thinking, well, what are they even saying? You know, and they were just thinking that they were kind of out of their minds, more or less. So he gives some instruction here in verse 14. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, if I had that gift, in other words. But he says, my understanding is unfruitful. If I don't have the the gift that allows me to interpret that language, then what's the point, in other words? What's the conclusion, he says? I'll pray with the spirit, certainly, but I'll also pray with the understanding, he says. I will sing with the Spirit, likewise, and also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen, which is a word of agreeance. You know, typically at the end of a prayer, after whoever is leading that prayer says amen, you'll hear several others likewise say amen. So be it is kind of the meaning of that particular word. And so it's a acknowledgement that You know, we are in agreement with what was said. But he's making the point here, you know, if somebody can't understand what you're saying, then how can they say amen at your giving of thanks since they don't understand? Now, obviously, this is a slightly different topic than the issue of vain repetitions, but there's kind of a basic point that is common between both both subjects there. If we are just reciting these things out of habit, but not really understanding the meaning behind them, then we can see that the same principle more or less applies here. 
So we need to make sure that we understand what it is that we're saying when we are praying to God. Likewise, we need to make sure that when we pray, it's not to put on a show. That we're not just praying so that other people will observe us praying and then, you know, have a positive opinion or, or what have you. When we're leading a prayer, likewise, it's not an opportunity to impress everyone with our vocabulary or the way that we can speak in an eloquent fashion. This should be a sincere communication to the Father. In the very same chapter, again, as we jump back a few more verses, we find Jesus talks about this particular issue. In verse 5, he says, When you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and out on the corners of the streets. Notice that they can be seen by men. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. When you pray, go into your room. When you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly, he says. So this isn't to say that we can't pray in public settings. Don't misunderstand. But the the point is that Jesus is stressing is that we don't pray to be seen by other people and to be thought holy by others. You know, in Luke chapter 18, we have the Pharisee who went up to the temple along with the tax collector. You remember that parable that Jesus taught there? The stark contrast between those two individuals. And Jesus taught this particular parable. We're told here in Luke 18 verse 9 because there were some amongst his audience who trusted in themselves. that They were righteous to the point that they even despised others, it says. And so the parable goes in verse 10 that two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. You can almost picture this guy up there, and and he's doing exactly what Jesus taught against, that we just noticed there. He's, he's just wanting others to recognize, even God, to recognize his own perfection, at least as he sees it. And thus has completely missed the point, completely lacks the humility that God expects and requires of us. And so we see the contrast then with the tax collector who, standing afar off, would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the one who was humble, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So as we seek to avoid those particular errors in regards to prayer, what are some things then that we do want to adopt and make sure that we are including as we go to our Heavenly Father? The first thing is we need to be reverent. We need to approach God recognizing who God is and giving him the respect that he so rightfully deserves. As we go back to the model prayer that Jesus used to instruct his disciples in what is appropriate to pray about and what are some things we need to include when we go to our Father. You notice he begins that prayer by showing reverence. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, he says, be your name. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, Paul was preaching on this occasion. 
to those in Athens, and he said, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. Paul here highlighting the magnificence of God. Likewise, as he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, he says there, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it should be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever, he says, amen. So we need to recognize and remember who we are speaking to when we go to pray. We need to pray with a desire for God's will to be done. It's awfully easy to get caught up in Devin's will. You know, what does Devin want? And and sometimes we pray just because we want something, right? And so we go to God as we as we would to an earthly parent when we're young. You know, I, I want this thing. Dad, get me this, or Mom, get me this, right? But we need to recognize that God knows best for us. And though we might pray for something out of a, you might say, selfish desire, that isn't necessarily always as bad as it might sound, (laughs) but as long as we recognize that God knows best, you know, in other words, as we pray and say, please help this to, to work out the way that we would like it to, you know, but not our will, your will be done, kind of have that kind of an attitude, then, then we have met, I believe, the expectation that God has for us. We've, we've met the, the goal here. Notice in Christ's prayer there, he prays that the kingdom would come. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, we could go and look at a number of other prayers that Jesus prayed. We think about when he was there in the garden, you know, not my will, but your will be done. And we see him not only in his prayers, but just in his teaching constantly uh, alluding to the fact that he was here to do the, the father's will. And we must likewise have that same mentality. Colossians 1 and verse 13. I threw this in here just because, you know, we had talked about earlier how people will take that prayer, the one that we're looking at, and they'll use that and repeat that over and over again. They'll pray that same prayer today, which uh, for one thing is wrong because Jesus told us, you know, don't just say the same thing over and over again and, and make it empty. But likewise, it, it kind of fails to really appreciate what Jesus was praying about uh, here specifically in verse 10 that we just noticed. He said, your kingdom come. Well, what's the problem with praying about that today? His kingdom's here. So we find that uh, very plainly conveyed in a number of places. Colossians 1.13 is just one such example, where as Paul wrote to the brethren in Colossae, he says, Look, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. The kingdom is synonymous with the church. Uh, It is one and the same thing. And so uh, we, we still need to seek first the kingdom in the sense of putting first things first in our lives. 
but to pray that the kingdom would come is is to show that we are really ignorant of what Jesus was talking about here because the kingdom is now amongst us. We are comprising that kingdom. We are members of it. But nonetheless, we need to constantly acknowledge that his ways are higher than our ways. Pray that his will would be done. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God speaking there through the prophet Isaiah. Jeremiah 10.23, we had noticed this particular verse in our lesson this morning, but there Jeremiah says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So sometimes we think we know what's best for us, right? But uh, it turns out oftentimes that we'll pray about something and then it doesn't work out the way we prayed about. And then later on, we find ourselves thanking God that, you know, thank you, God, that you didn't give me what I asked for because now I see that that wouldn't have been what was best. So we have to understand that God, his ways are higher than ours and, and he knows what is best for us. We need to pray with dependence, with an acknowledgement that we depend on God for everything. And that pertains to both the physical and the spiritual. We see in verse 11 there of Matthew 6, again, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, acknowledging, look, everything we have from day to day is from your hand. Uh, Please give us those things uh, that we need to survive and to be alive here on this earth. In the same chapter, a little bit further along in Jesus' speech there, the Sermon on the Mount that he gave, he talks about in some more detail about the need for us to not worry about our physical possessions and our physical needs, but rather to just trust that God is going to give us those things as long as we are putting him first in our lives. He says there in verse 31, Don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and notice all these things shall be added to you. James 1 and verse 17 reminds us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Likewise, we depend on God, don't we, in a spiritual sense. We need him to guard us against the evil one. As Jesus goes on in verse 13 to say, he says, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Give us the Ability to make decisions that aren't going to lead us into sin, in other words, is what Jesus is saying here. We know, of course, that God does not tempt us or lead us literally into temptation. Uh, the words there of Christ are, are meant to be conveyed in the, in the sense of, you know, help us in our decision making that we don't find ourselves uh, being tempted beyond what we are able to overcome because of our own poor decisions. Uh, James 1, verses 13 through 15, make that plain for us. It says there, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth 
death. We know that if we depend on God and we pray with that dependence, as Jesus instructed us to do, then we can overcome in each and every situation that we might find ourselves in. Paul highlights that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. He says, There no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. With the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. As long as we are putting him first and we are striving to do the right thing, we're never going to find ourselves in a situation that is beyond our ability uh, to restrain ourselves or control ourselves in the proper way. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I think kind of shows us the way of escape, if you will, kind of fleshes that out a little bit. Here James says, therefore, submit to God. So it's the idea of, again, recognize your dependence on God. Humble yourselves before him. And as you do that, notice, resist the devil, he says, and the result will be that he will flee from you. We resist and we are submitting to God, um, appealing to his strength, if you will. Verse 8, as it says, drawing near to God, then God is going to draw near to us. And the closer we are to God, then the stronger we are. We need to pray with forgiveness. And there's a couple of different senses, I guess, we could think about that. For one, Jesus certainly highlights the need for us to be forgiving towards each other, doesn't he? And in fact, we find in several places that we're taught that if we are not willing to forgive each other, then God is not going to be willing to forgive you and I of our own faults and, and sins. But here again in, in the model prayer we find Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We certainly need to go to God acknowledging our own shortcomings. First John 1 and verse 8, it says there, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we, on the contrary, confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But again, if we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we certainly must recognize that we are imperfect and we must ask forgiveness where we have fallen short. But likewise, we have to remember how important it is to forgive others as well. God expects that of us. A good example of that is in Matthew chapter 18. Another parable that Jesus taught concerning the subject of forgiveness. We'll start there in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Read with me. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Seems like a reasonable amount, right? If he goes eight times, then we can just dismiss him altogether. But Jesus' response is, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And again, the point not being that once you get to 491, well, then you dismiss him. <laughs> it's just that he's trying to make the point that, no, you continually forgive your brother in as much as he repents. And so he goes on to illustrate that through this parable. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents, just this unbelievably high amount of money. And 
As he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that after that, still, he was going to expect the payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down, notice, before him, and he said, Master, please have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And so the master of the servant was moved with compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. So not only did he uh, release him, you might think, well, it'd be compassionate to let him go and and still pay me back, right? But he says, you know what, I'm going to release you, and you know what, don't even worry about it. Let's just wipe the slate clean, and, and we'll start over. Quite, quite, the, uh, quite the gift, we might say. But then we see that in verse 28, the same servant goes out, and he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's like pocket change compared to what he had owed to the king. And so he, uh, he lays hands on him, and he takes him by the throat. He says, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant, he has kind of the same response that this man had previously had before uh, his master. He, he falls down and he begs him. He says, have patience with me and, and I'll pay you all. But we see that he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that was done. And his master, after he'd called him, he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt simply because you, you begged me, simply because you, uh, you asked, more or less. And so he makes the point, should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And so verse 35, my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We find in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4 there, Jesus there likewise speaking, take heed to yourselves, he says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. And so, one thing about forgiveness that we have to understand is that God's not going to ask us to do anything that, that he wouldn't do. You know, he's not going to forgive us if we just blatantly disregard uh, the offense and just persist in our disobedience to him. He loves us, yes. He desires for us to, to be forgiven, but we have to repent. And so it is likewise with our interactions with each other. Now, we always should love each other, and we should desire for reconciliation. But a person has to repent for that, that true reconciliation to take place. But the key is that we're always looking to forgive and being willing to forgive, so that God likewise will forgive us. We need to pray with thanksgiving. Sometimes it's easy to forget to say thank you to God, and Oftentimes we pray the most when we're going through difficult days. And then when days are good and we have things all going our way, it's like, oh, I forgot to pray or <laughs> I forgot to say, you know, just thank you for the good things that are going on and uh, the blessings that I have that I'm enjoying. But of course, praying with thanksgiving is not limited to just when things are going well. It, it should be included even when things are not going well because we always have things 
to be thankful for. And Paul highlights that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 there. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Notice that little interjection there. Let your request be made known to God. He goes on and talks about the peace of God, of course, that surpasses understanding that can be ours if we will make this practice our own. So as we go to God and as we have our various worries and our anxieties about different things, as we lay those at his feet, we still need to remember to say thank you and to recognize all the good things that God has done for us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, I want us to notice uh, just these three verses here. It says there, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. He says, Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace. When you see grace used in that way, it's denoting thankfulness. He says, sing with grace, with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice just in these three relatively short verses, three times the admonition to be thankful is given to us. Shows us how important that is in our lives. When we pray, we need to pray with praise for God. We need to reverence him, certainly acknowledge and remember who it is that we are speaking to, but As we do so, we need to remember to praise him. He deserves our praise. He deserves the glory, all the glory that that we can muster. Coming back again to the model prayer that Jesus prayed and, and used to be instructive to his disciples. Notice there in verse 13, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, he says, before concluding. With amen. I'd like us to come back to Psalm 33. You know, as we think about, well, how do, how do we praise God, right, just in our prayers? A great place to learn how to do that is in the book of Psalms. Because so many of the Psalms uh, are really just someone expressing praise to God for the various things that he has done for us. Psalm 33 is a a good example, I think, of this. So the psalm reads, starting in verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap and lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart 
to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who have chosen or who he has chosen as his own inheritance. Verse 13 says, The Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all of their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. So, throughout that entire psalm, we see just repeated over and over again, uh, just praise for who God is, uh, his attributes, what he has done, the hope we have in him. These are the kinds of things we need to remember to include when we go to him. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 there, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore by him, that is Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We need to pray with persistence. Sometimes we might pray for something and then it doesn't work out the way we prayed about and so we just give up. Well, I guess God doesn't care. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're taught in many places the importance of persistence in our prayers. Luke chapter 11 is one such place. As we uh, <clears throat> kind of pick up where we had left off at the beginning of the lesson, we notice the first four verses there where Jesus is asked, teach us to pray, and he gives that model prayer. Notice in uh, verse 5, as we continue on in the text, uh, he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend, and go to him at midnight, and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So in other words, if that friend is knocking there at the door and, you know, the first time his friend's saying, you know what time it is? Go away. <laughs> you know, right? I'm, I'm sleeping. But if he just continues to knock on the door, eventually, you know, the guy inside is going to get frustrated and you just take the bread. You know, just go away. Leave me, leave me alone. It's kind of the point that he's making there. So we see the power of persistence is illustrated here. He goes on in verse 9, he says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will the father give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? 
If you then, being evil, just in general, human beings, you know, we're evil, we, we sin. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the point is, God, as our Father, he cares. And as we are persistent in our prayer, the point Jesus makes here is that God will answer us. And again, we have to remember that God knows what's best for us. Sometimes the things we ask for aren't necessarily what ultimately is for our own best uh, best best. So we have to remember to to recognize that and know that God may not just give us what we want just because we asked for it. But praying without ceasing is so very important. We must pray regularly and with diligence. We need to pray with confidence. It's the last thing that we're going to notice in our lesson tonight. First John chapter 5 and verse 14, John writes there and he says, This is the confidence, notice, that we have toward him. That if we ask anything, notice, according to his will, then he hears us. So if we're praying with the proper mentality, the proper attitude, the proper reverence, then John says we can we can be confident because he's going to hear us. If we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, then we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. James had something to say about confidence when we pray. In James 1 verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I'm sure you've all heard about the guy that goes to pray to God. He says, dear God, if there is a God, you know, well, that's that's not praying with much confidence, is it? And so that's the point, of course, that James is making here. When we go to God, we recognize that, again, you know, we may ask for something and God might say no. He might say, yes, but I'm going to work this out in a way different than you're expecting it to work out, etc. We have to trust and know that as long as we are praying with the proper a reverence and, and desire for his will to be done, then he will hear our prayers. And that is is comforting and gives us confidence. So teach us to pray. I was, of course, kidding when I said that this lesson would cover everything about prayer. <laughs> uh, there are many other things that we could talk about and, and study together regarding prayer. But um, for tonight, we will conclude our lesson. I hope that the the things that we have noted will be of a benefit to you. In conclusion, I just wanted to make a an interesting note about prayer. You know, power uh, prayer is very powerful. In James in James chapter 5 verse 16, he talks about uh, the power of prayer. But there's one thing that prayer cannot do. Prayer cannot save you from your sins if you are outside of of the body of Christ. You can't just pray a prayer and find forgiveness showered upon you. 
And how do I know that? You say, well, Devin, if I go down the street here and talk to this group that meets down the road, well, they would, t- they would tell me that you're wrong, that you can't just pray this prayer and, and you can be saved. Well, I, I know that that's wrong because it's what the Bible says. And we see that very plainly illustrated in the story of Saul as he was converted out of his sin to embrace and follow Christ. In Acts chapter 9, verse 10, uh, it says there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. He said, Ananias. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. The Lord said, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, notice he is praying. Now, what had happened before this? You go back to the beginning of chapter 9, and we find that's where Saul's on his way to Damascus, but the intention was, I'm going to find all the Christians that are there, and I'm going to drag them off and and throw them into prison. Maybe even consent to their death. Who knows? That was his main purpose in life up to that point, as we read uh, there in the earlier chapters of the book of Acts. But of course, as he's on his way there, uh, he sees the risen Christ, and Christ speaks to him and rebukes him for his error and explains that he's going to go and, and be taught what he must do. And so as he's led by the hand into the city, and he finds himself in the house of Judas there, he he's praying, as one might imagine he would be doing. But he wasn't yet saved. That, that prayer, which I'm sure was a very sincere and, and humble and penitent prayer, That alone did not save him from his sins. We go into Acts chapter 22 where Paul's recounting these events. In verse 12, he talks about again Ananias, this devout man according to the law who was well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there in the city. He says, Ananias came to me and standing by me, he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. You will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. But then notice next, he asks a very important question. He says, now, why do you wait? He says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So if we want to be saved from our sins, we want to be added to the church, we have to be baptized into Christ. That is the only way, and we talked a lot about that this morning in our lesson, what must I do to be saved? We, we kind of flushed that out a lot more than, than we have here. But I thought an appropriate way to conclude a lesson on prayer by noting that, yes, prayer is powerful, it is to be integral in the life of a Christian, but to get into Christ, to start that journey, to make heaven your home, we must be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And so tonight, if there's anyone here who has never taken those steps, we would encourage you to think very seriously about that, recognize that we have an opportunity now as we're about to sing this song to accomplish those things. We would certainly love to assist you in that if that is your desire. If you're here tonight and perhaps you need prayer, Prayer on your behalf. Maybe you're dealing with difficult things in your life. You're struggling with something. We would love to pray with you. And we would 
love to do that, not just here and now, but we'll continue to pray for you. You know, sometimes we're seemingly afraid to share our problems with each other because we are embarrassed or ashamed. But we need to remember and recognize that we're all sinners. We're all imperfect. We all need help from time to time. And so if you find yourself in that position this evening and we can help you in prayer, uh, please don't be afraid to come forward and let that be known as well. Whatever your need would be, please let it be known while we stand and while we sing.